0: Welcome to Confronting the Madness, a podcast exploring the psychological issues of our time. My name is Mark Corthius, host of Confronting the Madness. In this episode, I had the opportunity to sit down and chat with my good friend, Edmonton City Councillor Scott McKean. Scott has been a passionate advocate for our most vulnerable populations at Edmonton. In 2013, he launched a mental health and urban isolation initiative through the city and has also been leading affordable housing and harm reduction strategies. Scott has also been very open about his own lived experience with anxiety, depression, and addiction. During this episode, Scott and I had a wide-ranging conversation, jumping back and forth between his own lived experience to societal challenges we face today. And now I bring to you, soon-to-be recovering politician, Scott McKean. Scott, thanks so much for for joining me today, and it's always a pleasure talking to you. Um, I, I started this podcast in my mind uh, July 2020 after going through, I think, four months or three months of COVID uh, and realizing not only am I losing my mind, but I think everyone in the world is too. So um, I've done a couple episodes and it seems like having honest conversations about mental health and mental illness really resonates with people. And I know we've had a lot of candid conversations before. Yeah. So thanks for coming on and chatting with me. Happy to be here. So um, I haven't seen you, well, I, I saw you on video in the uh, end of June. We had a great conversation. You were at your house at the time. Your mustache was prominent as always. I can't tell now because we're both wearing masks, but how has the, um, how, how the last year treated you personally? Well, first
1: of all, um, it's been really hard on my mustache <laughs> because uh, I, maybe I appreciate now because I'm a... Uh, I'm challenged as far as hair on the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Likewise, uh, uh, that uh, maybe I understand why some people don't want to wear bike helmets because it messes up their hair. And as I wear a mask, you know, I I don't put too much work into my mustache, but you know, it curls up kind of nicely. Yes. Uh, and uh, so wearing a, a mask, you have a curl. Just,
0: you have a curl issue.
1: I have a curl issue. After it'll be drooping down. It'll look like I'm a wet dog. So, um, you know, I don't want to obviously make fun of, of the challenges and anxieties that people have gone through, uh, through COVID. Well, I've been privileged, obviously. I have a, I have a role in, in this community where I can work at home. Um, I live in 550 square feet, I should say though, by myself. And that's my office and my workspace. Wow. And, you know, mostly I'm okay because I think I'm part introvert. So part of me is kind of like, ah, yeah, <laughs> this is kind of nice, right? Yeah. But I've noticed that, like, even recently, I'll be laying in bed trying to get to sleep and my body feels really tense. Mm. So I think there's sometimes in mental health issues, we can have a tough time pinning down exactly what's going on in our own body and mind. And, uh, and, and of course, there they're so linked. And so it's been, it hasn't been easy. And then you add in minus 300,000 degrees, mm-hmm. whatever it's been. And,
0: and that's Celsius.
1: <laughs> yes, not even Fahrenheit. And, and, and then no blue sky for a while. You know, so I know, and I, I just remember at the start, early on in COVID, acting city manager Adam Lachlan uh, said something. And I remember kind of looking up and going, that was so perfect. And he just said, the message was, it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such an important message in, our, in all our mental health messages is because I don't know about other people, but I know that traditionally I was anxious about being anxious mm-hmm. and depressed about being depressed. Mm-hmm. So I would sort of, you know, as you're sort of, if you, if you have mental health issues, <laughs> you're like me anyways, you're sort of doing this uh, constant scan. How am I feeling? What's that? What's that going mm-hmm. on? What's going on there? And so I would go, Oh, I'm really anxious today. And so it's like, and I don't know this, I know there's this form of therapy, which I actually engaged in a little bit before the last election campaign. And it was just sort of accepting mm-hmm. that you've had anxiety at prior times in your life before maybe a university exam or whatever having to do a speech and guess what you got through it so it's you can sort of start to replace that pattern of doubling down of creating that echoplex mm-hmm. of being anxious about being anxious it's okay to be anxious it's kind of human right and I think I wonder sometimes if that isn't sort of the hallmark of my early experiences with anxiety is you get panicky about being mm-hmm. panicky a negative
0: feedback loop yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh, yeah um well go ahead. yeah no i was just gonna, i want i want to get back to i guess the beginning for you but i can't help but share um you mentioned being an introvert and i remember I could never quite figure out if I was an introvert or an extrovert, and so I landed on ambivert, if that's even a thing, <laughs> a hybrid. And uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, because I, with my work, I'm out in the community talking to people all the yeah. time throughout the day, and then at the end of the day, you come home, and you're kind, you you need to stop talking for a bit, but then your family and your kids and your wife, everybody wants to talk to you. and So I was like, ugh... Oh. I got to talk now. But then the pandemic came and we're working from home and my wife's used to me being out talking all the time and then being tired of talking. And it's like eight o'clock at night, we put our kids to bed. This is like April. And I'm like, hey, Aaron, do you want to like open up a bottle of wine and just sit on the couch? And like, she's like, what do you mean? Like watch a movie? No, no, no. Just like look back at each other and just have a conversation. And she's like, why? What? And I'm like, no, yeah, like, we can just talk about our future and dreams and ideas. And like, so we would talk for two hours, but then she, she didn't want to talk to me because I had already pre-programmed her to not want to talk to her. <laughs> so I think I'm an extrovert. But um, I, I also said previously, you know, people say one in five people struggle with mental health issues in their lifetime, that now it's basically five out of five given the pandemic. And if you're not, if you tell me otherwise, you're now the person that has a, something Are you the sociopath now? Because you're, (laughs) no, man, everything's just peachy keen.
1: Yeah, I always wondered about that 20% number too. Life is so hard. And if you're talking lifetime occurrences, Mm -hmm. that sometime in your life you're going to be uh, depressed or deal with very high anxiety for a period of time or suicidal thoughts. You know, I I think, you know, and I know I've said it in public speeches about it, we need to we need to be able to talk about suicidal thoughts and have our kids talk about it cuz i has anybody not had had that thought once in their life that oh there's an escape route mm-hmm. and i'm not making fun of that mm-hmm. i think it's very common and and unfortunately there are people who become so desperate that they take the escape route mm-hmm. right and uh, and it's sad and tragic for everybody but not so under no not how do i want to put that i don't want to, i don't want to put it wrong but i i think it's kind of understandable that a percentage we, we want to do everything we can to stop that but it's not it doesn't it doesn't surprise me
0: mm-hmm. there's a um, the comedian norm macdonald has this bit in his latest podcast about um, suicide. It's tragically comic, but he says something to the effect of, you know, when somebody dies by suicide, everybody says, I cannot believe that that person would do that. And, and Norm Macdonald goes, you can't? <laughs> Don't you live in this world? Don't you understand how, you know, all we are doing is getting old and then we're going to die? It's tragic. <laughs> Anyways, I'm not doing it justice. But no, but Yeah, I could, I could see Norm's it
1: is. That sort of Pride. weird, deadpan <laughs> delivery of his. But, you know what, i got to tell you about a fantasy of mine is to do a, to have a, a laugh at depression, laugh at mm. anxiety comedy night. I always yep. wanted to, and we dabbled trying to put that together, talk to a local comedian, never came about. But, you know, I used to hang out at the comic strip quite a bit because oh, yeah. uh, um, my buddy owns it.
0: Is this West Edmonton Mall? Or- yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And I was there a lot and watching uh, stand-up when I was writing my column at the journal actually that may have infused my column darkly uh, but uh <laughs> but uh I met comics one of them who was brilliant who came off the stage sat down at our table and just kind of slumped into himself mm. and, and we talked a little bit and he suffered profound depression and um and I don't think that would be uncommon in yeah. that realm yep. uh so it's so again, an opportunity to talk about it and maybe, maybe even find some ways to laugh Mm -hmm, about it. mm -hmm. It would be, what a tonic. Yes. That would be for, you know, I'm I'm a a sufferer. And if somebody could make me laugh about my Mm -hmm. Mm malaise, oh man, that would be a blessing. Yeah,
0: and I I, want to go back to uh, your early days, but... I think you and I have both have the same problem where we get onto a topic and we want to continue on that topic. Um, I do, I totally agree. I'd love to do something like that. And I, I do believe that our society has, we, we need, we dance around mental health or mental illness now too much and, and treat it too much oh, as yeah. though it's a, this fragile conversation. And part of what I was hoping to do with this podcast is to have open conversations about. In in a, in a in a not joyful way, but in a way that's it's tragically funny Common because place. we're all we're all just humans trying to yeah. um, feel as good as we can when we're biologically predisposed to have anxiety.
1: So that Norm Macdonald joke that you delivered tragically. Um, <laughs> Thank you for
0: saying that, or else I would have had to edit it out. Yeah, so yeah, that's good. Um,
1: he's right. You know, and and uh, Scott Peck's book that was on the new york times bestseller list for like five years the road less traveled quotes the buddha at the very start life is difficult mm-hmm. and and there's there's an admission that if we've made that to ourselves right away and all the time doesn't mean you give up on life it's just you know we have to, i often think and we'll get to my earlier days if you want but i often think acceptance and it's almost what i was talking about earlier about not being anxious about being anxious, acceptance that I have been gifted with this brain or this like, this psyche that delivers anxiety and is more prone to depression. And I have to watch um, uh, reaching out for substances or behaviors mm-hmm. that will distract me from my, my, my mind, uh, the nature of addiction. Um, and I just lost that train of thought. Um, and so you'll edit that out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or we'll just keep it in. Because we'll keep it in because... I'll have to pay Risto I some Upwork to do the edits because I don't know how. We
1: did... T- I, have a, I have a... Oh, man, I was going somewhere. It was... Br- it might have been the most brilliant thing ever said in human history It, it could have I been was a, on the tip of my tongue. It top. could have been a viral It would have gone comments. out into the
0: world... And created joy. Well, let me let me just cut you <laughs> off then, because you you started that whole segment by making fun of my poor delivery of my Norm Macdonald bit. Yeah, and it ended with you. And this is going to be an ages comment, but you forgot what you're going to say because you're old. Okay, <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. Um, so Tim Ferriss, uh, he has a podcast, and he was talking with Jerry Seinfeld. I thought that's an odd couple. And Jerry, you know. He's a comedian. I think he's got it all together. And he went talking about Tim Ferriss, who's been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and Jerry goes into talking about how he's had depression on and off his whole life. I I didn't know that. And um, he said somebody told him when he was younger that, um, yeah, well, Jerry, you got to think about it this way. Many creative people have depression. And so your gift with creativity your burden is is the depression that comes along with it. So um, if you like the creativity, you should appreciate that that comes with it. Something to do with the chemistry of your brain.
1: I think there's a lot of truth to that, too. And I have certainly joked over the years that if you want to get a lot of work done, hire people with neuroses, Mm -hmm. which is essentially, you know, a term that I use to describe myself. And Mm -hmm. that is that are those are people who are afraid of failure. Uh, afraid of judgment, afraid of um, or, or they want to prove themselves to others, but mostly they are trying to prove themselves to themselves. And that was me. So
2: mm.
1: as a journalist, I had, uh, I, I'll say I had a lot of success. I was a really good scoop journalist. I mm. would beat other media outlets to the story because I worked long, hard hours because I was afraid of failing. Mm. It was, it's, you know, and sort of the world's point of view, I was a success. Mm-hmm. And that's what you stri- You thought you were striving for, too, but you... But I missed dinners with my wife and kids. And I probably took uh, some minutes or hours or days or months or years off my life working that. You know, and I really enjoy, it's funny, It's I'll never totally figure this out, maybe... Maybe someone listening to this will explain me to me, but I could get into a zone of high anxiety and just rock and roll in that. Mm. And, and yet I kind of hate anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I do think there's some ADD, ADHD mm-hmm. stuff in my brain, too. I could talk about this now, now because I'm not running for re So, <laughs> so you don't have to vote for the crazy city council <laughs> well, for what I, I, I
0: think probably in part many people voted for you because you've been authentically genuine about your situation.
1: Tried to be. Tried to be. I did. Um, it, it's not always easy. It, um, can feel pretty awkward sometimes. Like I waited the second term to talk about my uh, history with 12-step and recovery. That uh, was a little more personal and a little more scary because the world judges addiction and people with addiction pretty hard. And, and I, you know, as much as I am a fan of plain language, uh, the terms alcoholic and addict mm-hmm. are harsh. Yeah. And, and I would love to see if we can find a way to not use those anymore. But if you go to a 12 step meeting, they're calling themselves addicts, alcoholics, even drunks. Well, you know, we drunks. <laughs> and so it's not, there's no political correctness in a 12 step meeting. Mm-hmm. But I do think we want people to go seek treatment, to go get help. And one of the ways to do that, I think, is to reduce the stigma and shame around these mm-hmm. things. Um, and so these people have. Uh, you know, they're called substance use disorders mm-hmm. now. And um, th- that's an awkward term. Mm-hmm. He's a person with a substance use disorder. <laughs> I get it. That's Christ that's in it. You mm-hmm. can't get that in a headline.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but, uh, but it's a problem, right? Because we now know, I think more than ever, that addiction has to do with structural changes in the brain Many of them, by, caused by trauma, by emotional trauma mm-hmm. early in life or trauma in adulthood. Mm-hmm. People don't become down and out drunks, and I'll use that term because I, because, not because I was one necessarily, but because I belong to a club that uses that terminology. Right. They don't get there because they were partying. Mm-hmm because they were having a fun, fun time that never ended. The spring break never ended right. for them. That's not it. That's not it. So so I know that you wanted me to, and I'm well, going to preempt yeah. you, because you're well, terrible at interviewing. <laughs> Just awful as a former <laughs> journalist, I must tell you. So,
0: <laughs> Well, well let, 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 let me interject, if I may. <laughs> I think the way I, it's interesting, so having been involved in the mental health world for the last number of years. You know, I first saw you, didn't know you, but it was City Councilor Scott McKean, mental health advocate. That's, And I never really looked into why or what, but I'm like, that's really really cool. Um, And as I got to know you and read into your story more, realized how much you were, uh, why you were advocating, you know, and I guess I'm kind of stupid, so it didn't always dawn on me that, oh, probably most people that are advocates for mental health have their own lived experience. It's not as though... And so maybe talk about what...
1: Sort of like everybody that studies psychology
0: or psychiatry. (laughs) Okay, do you want to talk about psychiatrists for a minute? No. Uh. Uh, (laughs) Love you, Dr. Peter Silverstone. (laughs) Um, When did you first realize mental health was going to be a challenge for you and... Or when yeah. did you reflect on that it, that it has been a challenge for you? So
1: the, the, I'm going to try to do the uh, Coles notes or the quick version. I was born in, uh, into a family with my dad was uh, not a really active alcoholic. And I'm sorry, I'm going to slide back into that mm-hmm. terminology. Uh, A good man who lived in his head with his anxieties and probably depression uh, and a mother who had a tough time nurturing. And at the same time, I had a number of hospitalizations due to a leg, my right leg, which has always been uh, sort of atrophied and problematic, maybe because of polio. They don't know for sure. Mm -hmm. but So I had all these hospitalizations. Some of them, I think, at the time, this would have been sort of the early 60s were pretty um, uh, almost macabre or gothic in their sort of... Like, so I had a spinal tap. I don't remember Mm. this Mm -hmm. stuff. So my assumption is there was genetics at play, Mm -hmm. trauma at play, and some uh, family of origin stuff. Just, uh, you know, maybe if I'd been blessed with parents who were just the most loving cuddling people of all time maybe maybe I'd have a different story and I I don't want to blame them because I've met my grandparents right right right, right. and I never I don't know if I met their parents, my grandparents parents but you know that we have to try to break those cycles of blame so I don't blame my mom and dad they're good people but nevertheless at about age 14, 15, and I had my first panic attack. That goes away. I'm starting Did to... Did you know
0: what it was at the time?
1: No. Nope. I don't... I just remember it being... I was sitting in the back seat of a car that only had two doors, a so two-door. Mm. And I think I remember it with a bunch of other people, so it's high school, grade mm. 10 or 11 or something. And I, and I think the only reaction I was, could you pull down, the, you know, roll down the window? <laughs> right. And and being very uncomfortable, and then a few years later, having some panic. I've ever had panic watching the movie Jaws, when Quint, I think, finally fell into the jaws of mm. the shark and started eating up. So I, I just that was just a kind of a negative reaction to what I was seeing on screen, and being very um, moved by it emotionally, disgusted,
0: that's, and that's, having
1: another panic attack, and then being and then that sort of starts to metastasize, as you become afraid of having panic, and if you're, you have a creative mind, mm-hmm. you can start to think of all these places where you don't want to be trapped right. having a panic attack. So there's an element of shame and embarrassment around panic, I think, sometimes. Like, um, And then I had the mother of all panic attacks. Uh, when I was about 19, I was selling cars for a living. My girlfriend broke up with me. I sort of isolate for about a, you know, number of months mm-hmm. and, uh, I've never had experience uh, like this before or since. And that was just flashing into my mind and it was weird. It was a vision of a knife, but I took the message. I think I knew what it was. It was like, you might as well just kill yourself. Now. Wow. And so then I went into some therapy yeah, with a limited success. But you know what set weirdest thing that set me off on sort of a new direction, a new path was a Dale Carnegie course. Mm. What I did, uh, probably the most important thing in that Dale Carnegie course is everybody was tasked at one point of giving an emotional talk. Mm. And I just talked about my, my brush with suicide. And so what happened in that moment was uh, a room full of very kind and loving people supporting me.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So I think that was the first taste of, oh, maybe it's okay to be flawed and human Mm -hmm. and other people will understand. Maybe the first taste of maybe I'm not the only one. Right.
0: And also confronting, or this is like exposure therapy to some degree, yeah. exposing, yeah. confronting the the, the the thing that's yeah. haunting you.
1: And then there's a bunch of sort of important dates along the way, um, you know. So I, despite all this, and and, and, and I wasn't still great. I would say <laughs> I was in a pretty dark place. But and I, and I've often wondered how I did it. And I think it was my mom's drive that I picked up very career-oriented teacher, did worked her butt off. Resented her for that, by Mm -hmm. the way. (laughs) But very driven. And I somehow kept putting one foot in front of the other, Uh, went back to um, college journalism, started working in uh, small newspapers, and then got to the Edmonton Journal, married my then wife. We had three kids. but it was always, you know, I talked about earlier on my dad living in his head mm-hmm. and his worries and woes. And, yeah. and that's who I was. You right. know, Work was enough of a distraction and a challenge, and I was afraid to fail. I was pretty good at work, right? Yeah. But then I started to drink a little bit. And, and I remember when I, I actually told my wife um, <clears throat> at one point, I, you know, I think I drank too much.
2: Mm-hmm. How, old are, you, how was, old are you at this point?
1: Yeah, she was surprised. Because generally the way I drank was it's Friday night, kids are in bed, she goes to bed Mm -hmm. early, I stay up listening to music, finishing off the bottle of wine.
0: Are you early 30s or how old are you?
1: Yeah, that's probably Mm mid-30s. And then I went off for residential treatment at uh, Alberta Hospital Pinoka, which Was eh? an eye-opener. But I, you know, man, I was looking for, I remember when my psychologist at the time suggested it because he asked me, well, how much do you drink? And I went through that. And I think he sort of grabbed onto that as an opportunity. So I went off for, a res- and I was, like, I wanted you to did. go. I really wanted to go because it was like five weeks, nothing but me.
0: Mm-hmm. And they have a good swimming pool there.
1: No? <laughs> uh, they do, actually, and a good golf course. It's a
0: really nice place, actually. Yeah,
1: and, and, <laughs> and, uh, and I think, th- so I came out of that flying high. And I don't know if you ever heard of the book, The Pink Cloud? I don't think so. No, and it's, it's an expression used in 12-step, I think, where you come out of res- tr- residential treatment, everything's fixed, mm. you feel fantastic, and, you know, a couple, three months later, I just plummeted. So I think the underlying reasons for why I was self-medicating with alcohol really came to the fore. Mm. And that was a pretty profound, dark depression.
0: Because mm. of the realization that it was <sighs> yeah, deeper than... Yeah, I think than- maybe you've
1: pulled away all your dysfunctional coping mechanisms. Right. But the thing you're trying to cope with is really revealed to you yeah, at some point. Yeah. And so I had this depression, and I went back to that same psychologist, and he said, "Well, I'm gonna let's go see this doctor I know." And 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 so part of my anxiety is I don't even like taking Sudafed, because <laughs> you know I it, like that might ramp up my. You know I smoked a little bit of pot in high school, didn't do well with it. Never a pot still the, still
0: a politician to this day. <laughs> yeah. So we'll wait till after he's out yeah. of office. So no, get really, the I
1: pot scared the. Sh- bejeebers out of me Mm -hmm. can you swear on this oh absolutely okay um but i never swear because i'm a politician (laughs) um so so i go on i get prescribed paxil which was one of the popular ssris of the day went on it and it's like 72 hours later it was, I, I've described this, it, it's, it was sort of like what I, it's like a radiator flush. Mm-hmm. So the good stuff's coming in and the, and the stress toxins are being washed out of my body. That's what it felt like. Wow. And then probably a little manic for a while. I was talking to everybody. <laughs> it was like really up. And, and then I think settled in. And so being that I was so scared of taking SSRIs, be, being that I was at the end of my rope in a way, mm-hmm been off to residential treatment. I've tried, you know, I've done therapy by this time. I've tried a bunch of different things. I think there was an act of surrender that could be really powerful there too. I give up. I need help. I need help from other people. Mm -hmm. I can't do this myself. is a very powerful state of mind, I think. Mm -hmm. And it might be the first step towards a lot of people's mental health recovery or addiction recovery is to say, you know, because you, you, you've spent decades trying to figure out what's wrong. Yes. That was my story. Anyways, I always wanted to find that one memory of abuse or trauma or something that must've caused. Right. Mm -mm. And I, no, couldn't find it. Yeah. So anyway, so I did really well on that. And, um, and, you know, when I've dabbled in therapy, I was lucky enough at the journal. When I got back from residential treatment, the, the managers at the journal were so fantastic. And they actually let me create a new beat that was all about psychology, uh, personal growth, uh, physical health, mental health. And, and I just, for about two years, that's all I wrote about. And wrote about weird things really? like natural medicine and, and acupuncture. Um, to, to everything. And Did you was, enjoy that? What's that? Did you enjoy
0: that beat? I loved it. That must have been. You guys seem like you're. You, you seem like you're ahead of your time in terms of proactively seeking treatment and being accepting of psychotherapy, medication, and uh, addiction treatment. And your employers seemed ahead of their time in terms of yeah, being get, accepted, accepting of. Give a lot of credit to them. And, I, and then
1: I wrote some really. Profoundly important stories for me, and that was like doing stories with uh, parents who lost kids to suicide. Mm. And, and and really working with them, and I would read them the story the night before I was going in wow. the paper, which violated the rules of journalism. You never
0: Oh did. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> but I <laughs> Must just... Must have been pretty powerful for you well, and them.
1: Yeah, and I think, but you know what? I, I started to jokingly call this uh, journalism therapy that I was doing. Yeah. And it was really, I think, really a powerful and positive thing in a lot of people's lives to write their stories. And so I did a lot of that. That was really, what a privilege to write that. And so write about different modalities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's some pretty wacky stuff. out. I never ended up writing the story about the breatharian who, who believed that um, you didn't need food, just need air. Oh, and is that was, okay? Yeah, 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 that one. In
0: order to cure your mental illness, or, yeah, or what? I
1: think you're just to live. Just to be. Yeah. Just. I mean, but you know, I, I did some stuff on qigong, wrote about qigong and meditation, sure. and and I do think there's some wisdom in those really ancient traditions. Oh, un- absolutely. Because it's it's really about discipline and. Kind of like working on a muscle, you're training your mind to stay focused mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, and on something so that it can stay focused other parts of the day.
0: Yeah. I, I've never um I've never been a huge religious. I never grew up religious in a religi- religious family. It's only been more recently though that the notion that um life is suffering, but you can transcend the suffering if you live a certain way um, with honesty, integrity, confronting issues that are in front of you. Um, that's that's really profoundly changed my perspective on just that simple notion. And it's back to you talking about denying the anxiety or, or having anxiety about anxiety. Um, it's It's accepting the notion that there is going to be suffering in your life inevitably, and you cannot have this, you know, beautiful existence
1: yeah and I think the second line to life is suffering is and as soon as you recognize that you will suffer less Mm -hmm. you know something like that right exactly it's acceptance that life is hard and you will need friends of family to help you through that and we you know let's 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 cut to the chase here we live in a culture and in a province where, um, lifting yourself up by the bootstraps, mm-hmm. being fully independent, uh, being, a, especially a, a strong male leader is it, it, that's the, that's the ocean we swim in. Yes. Yeah. And, I remember giving a talk about, you know, if we talk about social isolation, I think that's one of the problems that leads to social isolation is that we're supposed to be independent. We're supposed to be fully able to look after our needs. Mm -hmm. And if you aren't able to do that, you're somehow lesser than. And I want to claim that is total bullshit. Mm -hmm. You know, historically, and if you go back far enough, we lived in tribes, and the tribe members looked after each other, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. And I I absolutely think we have to get back to that. I was talking to some um, McEwen University students one time about social isolation and this way we've had independent uh, success driven into us was, I said, imagine that half dozen of you went away, did all the research together, and you all wrote an essay on your your collaborative research. Mm Maybe you didn't copy each other word for word, but you all submitted that essay. I said, what are the co- potential consequences are that you get accused of plagiarism and kicked out of university? So instead of saying groups can do amazing things, you know, somebody in that group's gonna have a skill that's gonna contribute, where somebody else is gonna have a different skill that contribute. We don't teach that. You know, right mm-hmm. back to grade one, we're all writing our own tests. Right, right. Uh, in my life, in grade one, the teacher used to line us up around the class, and and those that did the best in the, in the test were at the front. And so you could see where you stacked up.
2: Mm, grade one.
1: And,
0: and I'm, I don't think that was a... So you were you very, very far at the back of the class then. Is that what I'm understanding from that story? Uh, you know, I wasn't. Oh, oh, you were in the
1: front. Yeah, which is maybe why it isn't a painful memory. <laughs> but but she, she was the same teacher who won the Kiwanis Music Festival every year. And she, the way she did it was some of her students were taught to just mow the words. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they weren't allowed to sing it because they weren't good. Like, it's just... But again, like i just think we're 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 bombarded all the time by messages of what we're supposed to be right right and and we need to personally challenge that and accept that no one's normal Mm -hmm. everybody's weird Mm -hmm. and i can tell you having been a journalist covering city hall for 12 years having been at city hall as a an elected official, try not to use the P word, right. as an elected official for eight, almost eight years. A ago. municipal leader. Municipal leader. <laughs> uh, I have yet to meet a leader who is not crazy mm-hmm. in one way or another. And I, you know, I, I, I got grief once for using that word, and I understand it, but I use the word crazy to demonstrate the demo- how democratic... Uh, and how ubiquitous um,
0: weirdness is. Mm -hmm. I I think, too, the more you can lean into your weirdness or or unique things that make you feel like you, the more people respond to that as well. And that's why leaders are weird, because they've channeled their true selves as much as possible. And people like to see that authenticity. Nobody wants to see the... um, somebody with a mask on. Because you can, even if you can't consciously see it, you can subconsciously feel it. And it doesn't, I don't like that personally. I don't think anybody likes that.
1: These days, I'm not happy when someone isn't wearing a mask. But I take your point. <laughs> I take
0: your point. Um, <laughs> well, let's and, could, I'm going to cut you off because okay. you said I was a, you said I was a shitty interviewer. And so what a good interview does is interject when.
1: Absolutely. Um, you got to be assertive. I,
0: Yes, and so now, now I'm, my, you know, my neurosis is doing, I'm going, you know what? Scott's been a journalist for two decades and more, and he's judging everything I do on the other side of the table. But I wanted to get back to what we were talking about before we started uh, recording. The two kind of landmark moments when you were with the, the journal, I believe, when you publicly shared that you were struggling with anxiety and depression. And then I, th- I think it was later on when you were, um, not a politician, what's that called? City councillor, thank you, um, talking about um, alcoholism. Could you just walk through those two?
1: Yeah, so we, I think it was around, God, I think it was mid, uh, <laughs> you know, I mixed it up. I think it was mid-90s maybe to be, to be more accurate. I think it was, I wrote a series of stories on Anxiety disorders, mood disorders, depression, yeah. and, and addiction, and, uh, and 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 as a sort of lead into the piece, I wrote my own story of sort of how I'd been wearing this mask of, and I, I actually had people tell me, "Oh man, you're so calm and cool and mm-hmm. collect all the time. You never get flustered," right. <laughs> which was you know, I'm like, holy smokes, you know, where's my Academy Award? (laughs) But so I wrote that, and it it had a very powerful effect in Edmonton, I think. We we had, I think it was 200 to 250 tickets available for, we did related public forums for each Mm -hmm. one, and, and one on anxiety, one on depression, one on addiction. And I think we had the tickets all available the first Monday when my story came out with you know, uh, advance notice of these forums we're going to do. And my memory of it is when I came in that Monday, uh, probably around 9.30, all the tickets were already gone. Wow. And uh, so what I, what, I, what I came to see from that is, A, there's a lot of pain out there, mm-hmm. but it's hidden inside homes. But the journal went inside that home right? Mm-hmm. It, it was a way to get to those people and in their own time, they could read that and make a decision and, and then, and then get, on, get get tickets. And I think we actually added an event because there was so much demand on it. And then over the years after that, I had a lot of people come up to me at events and, and, and tell me their own story. Mm-hmm. So I really came to believe even more and more that, so I, I doubted the 20% Stat, right. Yeah. Because people aren't always honest about their own frailties. Mm-hmm. And and I just really it just really stoked my fire around about being an advocate around this. Mm-hmm. And um, and then and and then I think being in 12 step, this is a bit of a story, about I went after I came out of residential treatment um, I went to 12-step for a little while, but I was clearly not engaged. Mm-hmm. Stopped going to meetings. I probably had about eight years of sobriety there. My marriage ended, and I ended up going back to drinking by myself. It'd be, typically, it was like I'm making a fancy gourmet meal at home. Not true, but I would be, <laughs> I'd be drinking wine while I'm cooking. It right. was fun, right? right.
0: Well the craft dinner was boiling.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then and then I ended up there was a wonderful scooter bar on the south side. I'd ride my Vespa over there. I'd ride my Vespa over to, to West Edmonton Mall to watch Stand Up. And it was when I, I just at one point I had to real I realized, oh my God, I'm drinking maybe more than I was before. And I think that's often the story with right. addiction is mm-hmm. It doesn't descend; it It accelerates. uh, So anyway, so I phoned a guy I knew uh, in the program, (laughs) and so you know I'm like a fancy pants columnist in the Edmonton (laughs) Journal. So I said, um, "Do you get like I heard you guys have these house meetings where you know it's just like doctors and lawyers?" And and he goes, "Oh yeah." He says, "I'll take you to my uh, my home group, Mm -hmm. home." house. I went, oh, great. Well, home group is a term that it's used broadly in 12-step. Uh, you have your home group and there's meetings all over the city, all, you know, a bunch of times each day, but you saw kind of, you kind of align with a home group. Mm. That's all this was. And it was just regular folk and 12-step. And But that time I joined, I really, I don't know what tricked me into it. But I got engaged and then I started volunteering, uh, seriously, to the point where I went off to some uh, conference in Red Deer and learned about uh, 12-step democracy, which is the slowest form of democracy mm. in the world. What is it? Well, they do a vote and the, the yeas win, for example. Yeah. And then they go, okay, now the nays, some of the people from the nays, can you, you, know, can you come up and tell us, try to convince Oh wow. It was just like, oh my God and having watched council meetings for (laughs) years at that point, I wanted to stand up and go, You're idiots.
0: Right. But it's and was it about like whether to have the roast beef sandwiches or the ham sandwiches? You know, it was
1: probably about editing one line in the big book or something, right? It's yeah, that's a very
0: Can the ham sandwich nays come up and please express why they want (laughs) mustard on it or
1: (laughs) it is I mean it's part of its charm in a way, and I Mm -hmm. and I have defended twelve step time and again because i think people often you know some guy comes up with a book slagging 12 step and i often think they miss the point it's about community Mm -hmm. and it's about kindness and compassion and being able to share your inner world in a place where you feel like you won't be judged
0: Mm -hmm. do you think you're do you ever think about yourself as having a unique position being? A champion for 12 step and recovery oriented treatment, but also have supported the safe consumption sites and harm reduction to speak on this more. Like, do you, yeah, do you, there's how do you think through the continuum of well, addiction treatment and recovery?
1: So, if you ask a lot of people in 12 step programs about harm reduction, mm-hmm. they would, be, ah, yeah, once you, you gotta quit,
0: yeah, you gotta be, you, you abstain. Gotta
1: quit. And and the old timers especially are like that, and God bless them. Um, but it, you know, I, I I guess I subscribe to evidence-based mm-hmm. decision making, mm-hmm. right? right. <laughs> and and you know what I would say to that old timer, I would say, but what if we're talking about somebody who has been homeless for 15 years mm-hmm. and drinking the whole time, and they're wounded, they're really wounded but we could get them into housing with a managed alcohol program. Mm-hmm. They don't have to live in that super stressful life out on the street anymore. They're gonna get good nutrition. They're going to be able to get involved with other counseling programs. They're gonna, um, in, in the case of Ambrose Place where mm-hmm. you've been, yep. there's um, indigenous ceremony and you can slowly start to build that person back up so carola cunningham who runs ambrose place Mm -hmm. uh we've been talking past the province all the time so i i I said carola could we like authentically call ambrose place with its managed alcohol program a long-term treatment center and she didn't even blink she said absolutely Mm -hmm. she said we have people who come in here they're pretty they're drinking pretty hard yeah you check in a year later and they're not drinking as much, maybe a year after that and again they're not drinking as much, and then maybe a year after that, they want to go off for residential treatment, they want to get Mm -hmm. clean and sober. Mm -hmm. But you cannot expect somebody who is that wounded to go off for a five-week residential treatment program, get a haircut and go get a job. Mm -hmm. Those are extremely traumatized, wounded people who have been re-traumatized maybe countless times in a day because there are, they, are, are, they are untouchables. Mm-hmm. Get the fuck off my property. Yeah. How many times do they hear that, right? Mm-hmm. In a day. Or people pass them by like they're invisible. So, and again, these aren't the party people. No. These are people who deserve to have their illnesses treated seriously. And if we do that right, even to the the sort of skeptic out there, I would say, okay, here's what's in it for you. Your taxes will go down. Mm -hmm. Over time, your taxes will go down because that homeless person costs way more money to you and public services than housing him in a harm reduction program and over time getting him or stable, so there, there's way less hospital mm-hmm. visits. There's way less calls for paramedics. Do, do you think services. that
0: economic argument is penetrating the policymakers or, or the public?
1: You know where it's making a dent, and I really, I, I don't know how unique it is in Edmonton, but our business community has been fantastic mm-hmm. on the supportive housing strategy. Yeah, They get it. You know, I've talked to some pretty, pretty big-time developers who will tell the story of bringing investors to town, mm-hmm. and the investors sort of running, <laughs> running to the airport because of the amount of social disorder they saw in their visit, mm. and or you know businesses who are like, they're they can't they're losing sales, they're losing diners right. whatever because. Somebody comes in from a bedroom community, say. Mm-hmm. They always want to eat in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. And they get panhandled, and they see somebody passed out on the sidewalk. Or, and again, those are the results of an illness. Yeah. Um, but they're scared of mm-hmm. that. Like, mm-hmm. I've worked downtown or been downtown since 1986. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm not... I'm not happy to see that, mm-hmm. but does it scare me like it would <laughs> somebody like that? But, um, so we have our small business districts have come to us before council committee every year and building over time, and they would give their presentation of what's going on in the Beverly district or mm-hmm. Kingsway Business Association or downtown, whatever it is. There's you know a number of these BIAs, we call them, right. business improvement areas and inevitably homelessness would come up and it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a, a plague on those individuals lives they mm-hmm. have an illness a plague there's a plague that has captured them up in its grip a plague of trauma generational trauma mental illness and addiction and then it's a plague on the community mm-hmm. And, and I get quite passionate about this and I've said it a number of times, it is stupid that we don't solve this
2: Mm -hmm.
1: for the, for the sake of hundreds of our citizens, for the sake of, um, communities and business areas that are so deeply affected by it. And for the sake of taxpayers, I mean, we're sitting right across right now, Mark from the law courts,
2: you know, mm-hmm. there's a
1: place largely kept in business because of addiction and mental illness. Mm. If you could solve those two things, there would be layoffs at the law courts, mm. mm-hmm. I believe. That, you know, I asked somebody recently, a person who would know with John Howard, I said, you know, what, per- what percentage of people are in in prison because of addiction? And he said, 100%. Mm. Now... You know, that might be an exaggeration, but I'll tell you.
0: No addiction, mental illness, yeah, intergenerational family violence, trauma, violence, yeah. whatever. Can I just go back and ask you? No. Okay, next question. <laughs> yeah, what do you think of the new th- library? <laughs> um, no. Um, were you surprised when you had shared your own story of lived experience at how many people had come up to you in the 90s? and say how much that resonated with them, or?
1: Well, I think anybody who's had this experience in life feels like a freak, mm. <laughs> right? <laughs> mm-hmm. That's the word, that's actually the word that people use. They thought they were a freak. Right, mm-hmm. um, And they're not a freak, or if they are a freak, then we're a, we're a society of freaks, mm-hmm. uh, because it's very common to have these um, challenges in our life, it's very common to have mental illnesses. It's always bothered me we never talk... We never use the term mental illness. We always talk about mental health. Yeah, uh,
0: we can talk... Let's talk about that for a bit. um,
1: But it's very, very common. And why wouldn't it be, given all the stuff we talked about, about Mm -hmm. life being difficult, right? Mm -hmm. And not everybody's... Not everybody's going to be... um, a top wage earner, have a perfect marriage, perfect children, beautiful house.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I, I, and that's I the other thing. I think we live in a very materially focused culture. Yeah,
0: I was just going to say.
1: And, and, and so, which is driven by capitalism. I actually see real virtues in the free market and entrepreneurship mm-hmm. yep. and capitalism. I'm certainly not willing to throw it out. But I think one of the negative side effects is we are bombarded by false messages of what success is. Mm -hmm. Because I think we don't, I mean, I think, you know, if you're making $30,000 a year and trying to raise a family on it, you're not going to, there's significant stress. Mm -hmm. What
0: What do you think about how COVID has reframed people's perspective on the meaning of life. And I, I asked that not to cut you off, although that felt really good. But um, I have had a lot of CEOs and executives reach out to me wanting to talk about mental health and workplace mental health. And, you know, it's interesting that I'm with you where entrepreneurship and capitalism are incredibly important drivers of economic growth um, and so material well being for humans. But there are, so, there are byproducts of that, and part of the byproducts is individualism and maybe lack of connection or, or, or meaning and purpose that goes beyond simply economic productivity. And I think one of the things that COVID did was make people pause and say, okay, what is a life worth living? And... Do you think that if there is a new normal or a normal in the future, which who the hell knows if 70 new variants come out in the next three weeks, that there's going to be a shift in our society? Or do you think we're just going to go back to business as usual?
1: I think there will be a period of celebration. Uh, and everybody might become rampantly material for a little while. hmm um, running to restaurants and nightclubs and buying a new car. Or They're going to come to our, co- our
0: comedy event. Yeah, yeah.
1: But, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, which will be really high priced so you yeah. and I can make some good money. <laughs> exactly. It. Um, so we but, can buy those nice shoes we've been eyeing yeah. up over at the helm. But, I mean, I think, I hope there's a lingering message about how, we, how, how important community is. However you define that, um, but, you know, and I, 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 I fear sounding like a socialist in Alberta. <laughs> I really do, because mm-hmm. it's, you know, we're sort of, again, we're sort of brainwashed with this radical uh, individualism as the ideal. And, and I think there's, I don't think there's one ideology that has a monopoly on wisdom. Like, mm-hmm. I really mm-hmm. don't. I think there's real value in people chasing their own, uh, ideas of success. But I think that we also have to recognize that, um, and I hope we come out of COVID recognizing that, uh, you know, I'll just say this in first person. I missed being around other people Mm -hmm. and I missed, even if they are strangers, I just kind of love other people. And so what we have to know though, and I think you know, what the media has to communicate is there's parts of the community that will now be really suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, I suspect the food bank's being hit really hard. Mm-hmm. And so how do we collectively deal with that? And I think the effort to engage with each other, participate participate in active service and kindness, is the answer or the or the pathway to a new form of community and a new way of being happy. Like I I'm not kidding, that whole 12 step message is around go serve others who right. are su- who are suffering. Mm-hmm. And it's a pathway out of your own uh, worries and woes and and egocentrism. It's really helped me. I have to keep reminding myself. I have to practice. It's mm-hmm. like a, you know the Buddhists talk about a meditation practice. Right. All these things are a practice because it's not what we were taught growing up that being a service and kindness to other people is the real key to happiness. Mm-hmm. But I really think it is. I agree. And But it, it, we have to remind ourselves daily of what can I do today? And I think as a community, we have to ask ourselves that. What do, what, what do we need to do to make sure that the most vulnerable person at Edmonton is cared for, that no kid goes hungry? Like that to me is a tragedy if we have kids going mm-hmm. hungry.
0: And, and I would say, and I, I, I agree wholeheartedly, You know, it starts, as much as we were talking about individualism, it starts at the individual level and it starts with doing a small, small thing. I I was reading up, I was doing my research as a good journalist would do prior to this interview, Scott, and you had launched a campaign about just saying hi to somebody and it's interesting because it seems almost trite maybe to some people. However, however, I did this social experiment of my own and I, I, I spent the day I'm saying hi to everybody I see down in the river Valley, this is during COVID and everybody I see, I'm going to say hi to. And I'm going to genuinely try to channel, like I'm saying hi to you in a meaningful way. And then I was also going to count how many people were saying hi to me and the amount of people that just, they don't even, they they have, and it's not a criticism of them, but except for, I know a couple people (laughs) who really should have said hi to me, but that they just completely cannot even engage in an eye contact. And so, you know, it starts at the individual level and those little things that collectively if we all focus on them make a big difference well, if
1: you want to get really big I think tax policy coming out of this has to be mm-hmm. really seriously reviewed you know I do think it, income disparity in in Canada mm-hmm. grossly much more in the US but we'll worry about Canada I think it has to be addressed
0: mm-hmm. and what do you th- like what do you think about things like universal basic income that Andrew Yang was campaigning on
1: yeah I'm not I'm no expert on that. Uh, I don't believe that people will sit at home playing video games. I mm-hmm. think people do need. You mentioned meaning we mm-hmm. were talking earlier, and I think people need meaning in their lives. And and you know, I I would prefer a system where there's a basic income for participation in your community. Mm, yeah. Whatever that is, yeah. could be you know sir, helping at a daycare. It could be. Um, you know, keeping the city clean and mm-hmm. tidy. Right. But yep. I just think, give people some prideful work, meaningful yep. work. Uh, that's what I would prefer. Mm-hmm. Even yep. if I was a frail old guy, which I'm very close to. Mm-hmm. You're
0: Maybe frail and old, but, but that. Wait, what was the third thing? Oh no, that was only Yeah,
1: next week. Um, I'm. Uh, I would rather be. You know, say, okay, we're going to pay you this amount. Of, uh, it, each week, I'll feel better about it if I'm participating right there's incentives to yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so but I don't think you know I'll, I'll tell you a quick story years ago I was a journalist I was covering the um, Christmas bureau launch right and I think they were giving out uh, vouchers rather than hampers mm-hmm. that year and the story was you know some some uh, vulnerable people in the inner city they just take those vouchers and they sell them, Mm. you know, maybe 75 cents on the dollar, but they get, and then they go buy booze. Right. So I asked the guy that was running the campaign about that. And he said, oh yeah, no, we know that happens, but it's a real small minority. And he said, and would we, would we not do our campaign because of few people? Right. You know, and so, you know, when, whether we're talking about that sort of thing, I think the criticism often is about scammers it's like there are mm-hmm. you know it's like we're all scammers
0: <laughs> yeah you know that I,
1: I mean, and there, would there be scammers there are today yes I used to
0: work for, with some at the Edmonton Journal yeah. who did very little work well look at the companies that have received federal subsidies in the billions of, like how is <laughs> that yeah, you want yeah to talk, we never
1: we we, we we rarely address the yeah this and this, I, again yeah. I you know, I'm sort of a... I'm, I call myself a moderate centrist because mm-hmm. I think there's wisdom everywhere. Mm-hmm. But I do think income disparity, like it's like the really wealthy, I want to say to them, guys, you can't build tall enough walls or not everybody's going to have a private right. island. Right. So, so why don't we try to... You, you know, you got a billion. Do you really need another billion? Mm-hmm. Or do we come up with a tax system that so we have great schools and great universities and uh, civil servants are paid a decent wage and cities are kept nice and clean buses run on time all that stuff but but we're not there right now I think we're municipalities are starting to get squeezed mm-hmm. even before covid we're starting to get squeezed yeah and then what I fear is I want to live in a city that's attractive to people and attractive to investors, you know, that people grow up here, go to university here and go, I want to stay here. Mm-hmm. That's the city I want to build, you know. Sorry me to too. get it, a no. little political no, at the no. end here. but
0: I mean, I thought you weren't running for re-election, but I guess, you know, you want to keep those, <laughs> th- those lines open. Let me ask you, let me ask you this uh, just out of interest. So you've done, you're finishing up your two terms, when does that end, September or? October. October, yeah. So what does the future hold for for, for recovering politician Scott McKean? Yeah,
1: I, I mean, my passion is around mental health and addiction and advocacy and information uh, around that, and I'd love to be involved somehow in that. Um, I don't know if I'm a... Uh, because of the nature of my mind and the way I work. I'm not sure there's a book in me that Mm. requires a lot of sitting for long periods of time with focus. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And and so I'm not sure about that. But yeah, I mean, the social issues really interest me. The other thing that really intrigues me is writing stories again or doing short videos again to remind Edmontonians of how many gosh darn gems there are in Edmonton mm. and really a ton of things to be proud of and a ton of things to experience. Um, Edmontonians tend to be down on their city, you know, and, mm-hmm. and when it's minus 30, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it, it you know, there was a guy at the university who did the study. He said years ago, he said, There's, mm, on average, maybe 10 extreme weather days in the winter. Mhm. Most of the days it's minus ten to minus fifteen, sunny, no wind.
0: Yeah. Oh it's been a beautiful winter yeah. here other than so yeah so let's other than Antarctica for the last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah.
1: So that's the other bit of work I'd love to do again. I you know, I wish I could get a guaranteed basic income that would I don't I'm not a rich man, I mm-hmm. don't need to be a rich man. So that I could be a storyteller mm. in, in many different yep. guises. I would never probably do a podcast because they're really sort of they're falling out of favor they're boring um
0: there's already a bald guy with a beard doing one around mental health
1: (laughs) (laughs) uh i kid um but yeah story you know uh storyteller someone who is maybe around to advise government and corporations on the advantages of plain language Mm -hmm. it's been my argument here a number of times that if governments can't speak the language of the people, then you don't have a democracy Mm -hmm. because you're turning people away. Right. And I think governments sometimes do that on purpose, not conspiratorially. Right. But they don't, you know, public participation is painful. It's Mm -hmm. hard. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of work. People don't agree. Um, It's hard. democracy done really well is a challenge and it's burdensome and it takes a lot of time and but you know one of the things i love about edmonton as a someone who's observed it for years and years and years we don't we're not sheep here we you know you look at how we vote Mm -hmm. ndp in the provincial uh conservative in the federal right very progressive but but divergent council like it's we disagree on stuff and we debate stuff. Doesn't mean we get things done as quicker here as, right, say, right, in Calgary. Right. But, but we're a really interesting community full of really interesting and weird and wonderful people. And I'd like to tell more of their stories because mm-hmm. there's a ton of them out there. And media is really constrained nowadays. Um, uh, there's, uh, I know there's independent journalists in mm-hmm. the U.S., but i i also i gotta make a living i don't know what i'll end up doing okay well you know, i've said it before i'll say it one last time at 18 years of age i was selling cars i sold cars for two years i was good at it mm-hmm. uh good cars too like mm-hmm. uh quite exotic imported cars you may see me at a car dealership uh, a year from now and that's what i'll be doing and and doing all that other stuff I talked about, the advocacy, um, on the side, and, mm. and loving
0: that. So, well, um, let me just say this, because um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Uh, my Honda Odyssey is due for a, a trade-in in about two years' time. So, okay. if you're at Toyota, I'll I'll think about the uh, the Venza, maybe that. Try to
1: get it. you into a Lexus.
0: Lexus, okay, Lexus will be good.
1: But, yeah, no, and I bought a motorcycle last summer in COVID. Mm -hmm. And, and again, I'm sort of back in therapy, uh, which I really love, by the way. But I I sort of – another thing I realized is in high school, I I helped rebuild motors and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I know it's not very de rigueur these days, climate change and everything, Mm -hmm. but I really love – I love – Cars and motorcycles, yep. and so it could be an electric motorcycle. I'm not, I'm not picky, but yep. there's something about that part of our culture which is not cool. Certainly not admired by people on the, uh, on the extremes of the left side of the political <laughs> spectrum. Even though they might like some of the other work I do, I'm sorry, I love that stuff. Mm, mm-hmm. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to go on a motorcycle tour. Nice. At some point, when this is all done, yeah, and maybe I'll end up in in Central America and never come back.
0: Hmm. Well, well, that would be a shame for our city if if you if you did leave.
1: But but I could meet a Central American woman mm. who who I might be very happy, and I know you'd be happy for me. I would
0: be very happy for you as <laughs> as someone who I admire, and I look at and think, you know what? I think I'm looking at myself in maybe 30 years. Jesus, um,
1: you know, ageism. Is another form of bigotry.
0: I, you know that, right? That was actually a compliment, saying <laughs> you're my role model for who I want to be when I'm uh, what is that, 68, 69, whatever your age is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up here, Scott. Um, but thank thank you for joining me. I I th- love talking to you, and I think you and I could probably talk for several more hours because I have a lot of things on my mind to talk let, to people. Let,
1: let's do it again, and maybe we can narrow it down to a, you know, a specific issue around mental health, mental illness, and addiction. I'd love to. It's, it's a, Like I say, it's a passion of mine. And I really have come to uh, really like you and think yeah. highly of you and Thank the you. work you've done and how engaged you've been in this community. And this, I know, is another way to get at it. So all the credit and all the power to you. And the other thing I'll offer is if you ever want to learn how to run a uh, really good interview, I'll, I'll, I'll help. <laughs> Thank
0: you. I thought trial and error was a pretty good approach, but whatever. Th- thanks, Scott. Appreciate uh, you taking the time. Let's do this again.
1: Let's hope everybody uh, realizes it's okay to not be okay right now.
0: Well said. Big thanks to Counselor Scott McKean for jumping on and chatting with me on Confronting the Madness. I always thoroughly enjoy talking to Scott. It's like talking to my future self. Scott, I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult, but you can take it how you'd like it. www.depressionislarious.com. Get your tickets to our forthcoming entrepreneurial venture. Tickets, I think, are $5,000 a pop, but we're just figuring out pricing now. first act will be scott doing a 30-minute bit on his mustache so get your tickets before they sell out all proceeds will go towards counselor mckean's future psilocybin assisted psychotherapy trials i got to apologize to norm mcdonald for what was a substandard impersonation to say the least norm if i ever try that again i'll make sure to have that buttoned up for you if you like the podcast Please share it through all of the appropriate channels. I don't know what they are, but I'm sure you do. Peace.